Uh, well, friends, you might have read the book The Lion, the, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Who's read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Uh, many of us. Uh, it's a story about four sibling children, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, who are sent from their home in London to an old professor's house in the English countryside. Uh, they are sent there in order to avoid the bombings uh, during World War II. However, as they explore the professor's house, one of the children stumbles across an old wooden wardrobe. And at the back of this wardrobe, behind all the, the clothes that are hung up, is a door that leads to the world of Narnia, which is a staggeringly beautiful place beyond imagination, complete with talking animals. Now, uh, this morning, I want you to imagine with me that there is a door to heaven. And I want to ask you whether you think that that door is big or small. You know, I think the majority of people in this world would say that that door is very big indeed. Uh, why would people think this way? Well, it's because they think that if I can just live a decent life and stay away from you know, the gross sins that people commit, by which they mean things like murder and drug dealing and pedophilia, the worst of sins, then I am a decent person and God will allow me into heaven. And because there are so many people in this world who are decent by this definition, then the door to heaven must be huge. In fact, I think lots of people think that this is what Christianity itself teaches. Have you ever wondered what your friends think that you are doing here on a Sunday morning? I wouldn't be surprised if they think that you are being told how to be decent people so that you can somehow find your way into heaven. Perhaps you, you yourself have understood the Christian message in this way. But is that what Jesus teaches? Is that really what qualifies you and me for heaven? Now, you can see that entry into heaven is the, the topic of our passage this morning. Uh, in verse 16, if you have a look in your Bibles, uh, chapter 19, verse 16, there is mention of having eternal life, isn't there? In verse 17, Jesus speaks about entering life. You come down to verse 21, he speaks about being perfect. In verse 23, it's about entering the kingdom of heaven. And in the next verse, entering the kingdom of God. In verse 25, there is mention of being saved. And finally, in verse 29, Jesus speaks about inheriting eternal life. You see, he uses different language, which all have their different nuances. But essentially what Jesus is talking about here is the qualification to enter heaven itself for all eternity. Uh, are you someone who is qualified for heaven? Well, in our passage this morning, we are introduced to a candidate who comes to Jesus seeking to find out how he might qualify for heaven. And I want you to notice a few important things about this particular man. Firstly, he is not only a young man, but he is also a very rich man. Uh, you can see there in verse 22 that this young man is described as someone who has 
great possessions. If you think about our own context, what might that look like? Well, it might be the man who is rising up the corporate ladder or who owns his own successful business. Uh, His wife drives the latest European SUV, which she drives to and from the most prestigious schools as she drops off and picks up the children each day. His children own the latest iPad and wear designer clothing. Each year they holiday in exotic locations because money is not really in short supply. However, notice that this man is not merely a material man. For in verse 16, we are told that he comes up to Jesus and he asks this question. He says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, this man is a seeker. He's not only interested in the things of this world, of which he has many, but he is seeking the things of the next world. In fact, he's deadly serious about finding out how he can gain entry into the next world. For when Jesus speaks about keeping the commandments, he responds, notice in verse 18, by asking, well, which ones? I'm eager to keep them, if that's what it takes. You know, friends, one of the saddest things about the world we live in is the tragic lack of seriousness about eternal things. Uh, On Friday morning, I watched a soccer match on television. And I have to say that the amount of seriousness about a bunch of grown men kicking around a piece of leather around the pitch was staggering. (laughs) I mean, there were emotions boiling over. Grown men were crying. It was as if people's lives depended on the outcome of this match. You see, people are serious about all sorts of things, aren't they? Sports, hobbies, food, careers. But when it comes to matters of eternity, well, I don't have much time for those sorts of things. I don't want to take those things too seriously, people say. However, this man is not like that, is he? He wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. But further, notice that this man is moral. When Jesus begins to speak about God's commandments, this man can say with all sincerity in verse 20 that he has kept all these things. He hasn't committed murder or been ruthless to others. He hasn't committed adultery against his wife like so many rich people who keep mistresses on the side. He hasn't stolen or lied his way to his great wealth. He hasn't fudged the numbers, for example, at work. In other words, this man is a very decent man. I think we miss the point if we think of this man as uh, just an empty material narcissist. No, this man is the kind of man you would want as your colleague or your boss even or the school principal who cares for your children's education. I hope you can see that although he is rich, he's also a very decent man. However, here's the astonishing thing, friends. Even though this man is young and rich and very decent, Jesus says that when it comes to qualifying for heaven, he is lacking something. 
Why is this the case? Well, you can see there that the issue is really about whether this man is good enough to enter heaven. And that's why the man asks uh, Jesus in verse 16, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You see, this man thinks that there must be something good that he can do that will make him good enough for God to accept him into heaven. Now, friends, how do you measure your own goodness? Well, we often measure our own goodness very subjectively, don't we? Uh, we uh, often, you know, turn a blind eye to our bad behaviour and uh, we give ourselves high praise for our good behaviour so that in our own eyes, uh, we often think of ourselves as good. Or we end up comparing ourselves to other people, uh, usually at their worst moments, so that compared to others, well, we think that we are fairly good people. But do you see what Jesus does here? He says that if you want to know whether you truly are a good person, then the standard you need to apply to yourself, and I need to apply to myself, is the standard of God himself. Now that's why Jesus says in verse 17, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who does good. There is only one good measure by which you measure your goodness. And so Jesus proceeds to measure this man against God's standards in the Ten Commandments. If you want to know whether you are good, then let's measure you against God's standards, is what Jesus is saying here. Now, uh, if you know the Ten Commandments, uh, you will know that it's divided into uh, two main blocks of material. Uh, The first block has the first four commandments, which are all commandments to do with how we treat God. Uh, It's summarized in the phrase, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's a vertical thing. The second block covers the last six commandments, which are all commandments to do with how we treat one another. And uh, it's summarized in the phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Uh, it's 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 a horizontal thing. But friends, when it comes to this rich young man, did you notice which commandments he leaves out? Very important. Have a a chat with the person sitting next to you. Which are the commandments that he leaves out uh, in uh, these verses as he speaks to this rich young man? I'll give you uh, just a couple of moments to think about that. All right. That's enough time. Um, which, which are the commandments he leaves out? Uh, some, someone want to give that a go? Uh, idolatry and what were you saying, Oscar? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the command not to have uh, uh, idols before God, not to worship other things before God, uh, is, in the f- is one of the first four, but he actually leaves out the whole uh, first block the first four uh, commandments that have to do with how we treat God. Yep, that's uh, certainly very striking, isn't it? Uh, What else does he leave out? Yes, yes, that's what we just said. Uh, Sorry. I'm glad you're listening now, Zion. (laughs) Yep, the first four. 
do not covet, uh, which is the 10th commandment. Uh, it's very strange, isn't it, that, that Jesus would leave out uh, not only the, the first four commandments, but uh, the very last one as well, which is about not coveting your neighbor's possessions. What is Jesus doing here? Well, uh, what Jesus is doing is with the precision of a heart surgeon, he is exposing what is really wrong with this rich young man. Uh, You see, even though this man has kept some of the commandments, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, uh, do not uh, bear false witness and so forth, he says, I've kept all of these. Even though this man has kept some of the commandments, you can see that he senses, in verse 20, that he still lacks something. What is it that he lacks? Well, the thing that Jesus exposes for this man is that he lacks a genuine love for God because he loves his money and possessions instead. That's why Jesus says to him in verse 20, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and replace that with Jesus. Come, follow me. Jesus is not interested in flattering this man. He wants to expose him so that he might turn and save his life. You see, this man's real problem in the end is not a problem of decency, is it? Rather, it's the fact that he loves his possessions more than he loves God. He worships his money as his idol rather than worshipping God as his maker. That's why he cannot bring himself to part with his possessions in order to follow Jesus as a disciple. And tragically, poignantly, He walks away from Jesus. And when you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from eternal life. The word perfect that you see there in verse 21 is not about being morally perfect. But it's about being perfect in submission to God. And so in this way, this man has has broken not only the commandment about coveting, but he has broken the greatest commandment which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. Now, friends, I just want to be clear that Jesus is not endorsing poverty here because he sees money and possessions as evil. You know, even if you got rid of all your money and your possessions, it's still possible, isn't it, to be greedy in your heart and to love money more than God himself. Uh, I once gave uh, a needy man uh, in Strathfield uh, some money. And uh, all he could speak about was how wonderful the Porsche was that was parked in front of us. And he proceeded to lecture me about how one day he was going to drive a car like that. You see, the Bible never sees poverty in and of itself as a virtue. For it comes with its own temptations, you see. Further, this is not a blanket command for everyone to sell all their possessions and give to the poor if they want to gain entry into the kingdom of heaven. It can't be that because uh, even in the Gospels, I don't know whether you notice, but um, there have been disciples of Jesus who have owned houses and have had possessions. 
later in Matthew's Gospel, we meet a disciple called Joseph of Arimathea, who, if you remember, is the one who um, pays for Jesus' burial uh, after the crucifixion. And he is described as a rich man. However, friends, don't let this take away from the force of what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is that if you and I are not willing to part with our money and our possessions because we love money more than we do God himself, then you worship money as your idol. And if you persist in that, you will not enter eternal life. Jesus is deadly serious. Sadly, I see this all the time in pastoral ministry. I see people coming into church, seeking things that are eternal, feeling that there is something lacking. But once they begin to see that Jesus makes demands on their whole life, including their money, well, many walk away sorrowful because in the end they love their money more than God and they are not willing to part with what they have. And the things that bring them their wealth, things like their careers. Or I see it in those who profess faith, but after a while they begin making foolish decisions in their lives which in reality revolve around money and possessions and things like career rather than revolving around following Jesus. They simply cannot give up their money and their career progression and possessions. And sadly, many end up walking away from Jesus and eternal life because they simply cannot serve two masters, you see. It doesn't happen overnight, but it just kind of happens compromise after compromise until it's too late. It was the great reformer Martin Luther who once said that the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Is that true? How tragic it is when it is your money and your possessions and your career and the things of this world that keep you from wholeheartedly following the Lord Jesus. I'm told that in some Southeast Asian countries, they uh, consider monkeys to be a bit of a delicacy. Uh, It's not my cup of tea, uh, to be honest. But uh, you wouldn't believe how they catch them. Uh, What they do is they leave out a cage, uh, and in the middle of the cage they put a banana. So that when a monkey comes along, uh, what he does is he reaches inside the cage and he wraps his hand around the banana. But because his fist is too big, well, he can't free his hand from the cage. (laughs) You see, if only he would uh, free his hand, if he would just let go of the thing that is so precious to him, he would be able to save his life. But in the end, because he refuses to let go, well, it sends him to his death. What is it, friends, that you and I just cannot let go of in our lives, in order to follow Jesus and serve him wholeheartedly? What is it that you find yourself never saying no to, but in its place you always say no to serving Jesus? 
my guess is that for some of us, that thing is money. It is possessions. And all the things that bring those things for us. If that is you, then beware, says Jesus. Jesus is warning that such a love of money will disqualify a person from heaven itself. Perhaps there are some of us who need to make some radical decisions this morning. Perhaps some of us, we need radical repentance around our money and possessions and career because Jesus has exposed your heart. Well, friends, uh, that's the encounter that Jesus has with this rich young man. Uh, But in the next part of our passage... Notice that Jesus turns what has just been witnessed into a lesson for his disciples. And the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is that it is impossible for rich people to enter heaven. It is impossible for rich people to enter heaven. Uh, You see it there in verse 23. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some commentators have said that when Jesus mentions the eye of a needle here, uh, he's referring to a small gate uh, in in the city of Jerusalem um, that was not meant for large animals to pass through. And so if you wanted to get a camel through this uh, narrow gate... Um, the camel would have to kind of bend down on its knees and sort of crawl through the gate. Uh, In other words, it it is possible to get the the camel through. It's just that it's a bit difficult. But there's absolutely no evidence that such a gate ever existed in Jerusalem. No, what Jesus is saying here is that it is impossible, sorry, as impossible as it is to squeeze a huge camel through the eye of a small needle. I mean, you try doing that. It's impossible. As impossible as as that is, it is impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The door is very, very small. Why is it impossible for rich people to enter heaven? Well, I take it that it's because rich people, by and large a very self-sufficient people. You and I, as rich people, can often be very self-sufficient people, can't we? You see, money and possessions can deceive you into thinking that you can solve every problem for yourself. If I am in debt, well, I just need to solve that problem by paying off my debt with my money. If I am sick, I can solve the problem by paying for the best doctors. If I am unsatisfied with life, I can solve the problem by buying things or doing things that will satisfy me with my money. You see, the rich person is self-sufficient, but there is one problem that the rich person can't solve, and that is the problem of his or her sinful heart that rejects God because it's in love with other things above God. You see, that's, the question, that's why the question of this rich young man is the wrong question. 
as a self-sufficient person, he wants to know, well, what good deed must I do in order to gain eternal life? But the problem is that he cannot do anything in order to earn eternal life. For his real problem is not that he, you know, he, his, his decent behaviour, but his real problem is that he loves his money and his possessions more than he loves his maker and his God. I sometimes ask the people the question, uh, if you die tonight, why would God let you into heaven? If you die tonight, why would God let you into heaven? When people begin their answer with the words, it's because I, I know that in most cases that person is not saved. It's because I go to church. It's because I haven't murdered anyone. It's because I try to do good things. It's because I'm a decent person and I'm trying my best. If you think you can get to heaven by relying on yourself and your good works, then think again, says Jesus. Yet, although it is impossible for people to get to heaven by their own good works, you can see there that Jesus speaks wonderfully of the possibility of entering heaven. Have a look with me at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, here the disciples are astonished because the Jews thought that being rich was actually a sign of God's abundant blessing on a person's life. But Jesus has been saying here that being rich is actually an obstacle to a person entering heaven because it makes them self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-dependent in thinking that they can get to heaven by their own good works, even though in their hearts they love money more than God. It's impossible for such a person to ever enter heaven. With man, it is impossible. And yet the wonderful thing here, friends, is that Jesus says that what is impossible for man to accomplish is possible for God. He's speaking here, of course, about the cross. For as we will see in coming weeks, Jesus is heading to the cross where he will die for people who have not loved God the way they should. He will die for people like you and me who have loved money and possessions and other things in the place of God, and he will rise to be the Lord and ruler and king of this world who offers forgiveness, free of charge, and entry into the kingdom of heaven. And so, friends, the only appropriate response in order to receive entry into heaven is to come to Jesus rightfully knowing that you and I have absolutely nothing to offer God, but simply depending on him and following him as your king to save you. 
That's why our passage begins and ends this morning with a picture of what it looks like to rightly respond to Jesus in order to gain entry into heaven. Did you notice that as we were reading through? In the beginning of our passage this morning, we see the example of children who are brought to Jesus. You see, children in Jesus' day were those with no status and no rights and no privileges. They were those who knew they had nothing to offer and so were completely dependent on others. And Jesus graciously welcomes these little nobodies. As he says in verse 14, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Further, at the end of our passage, we see the example of the disciples themselves. They are the ones who have come to Jesus knowing they have nothing to offer, but willing to depend on him and uh, and follow him at all costs. They are the ones who have left behind everything so that they can follow him. And to these disciples, Jesus says that in the world to come, They will be ruling together with him in heaven. But it's not just the disciples, is it? For Jesus says that anyone who responds to him in this way will receive not only blessing in this life, but eternal blessing in the life to come. Now, there's a wonderful hymn that we sing here at church from time to time where the words capture beautifully, I think, this kind of response to Jesus. It says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Have you come to Jesus in this way, expressing these sorts of things? Have you come to him with empty hands, knowing that you can contribute nothing to your salvation, but eagerly seeking to receive from him what you cannot receive for yourself. It's the only way to heaven, says Jesus. Well, is the door to heaven big or small? I hope you can see what Jesus says this morning, is that the door is smaller than what you and I might think. It is not big enough to allow everyone who, like the rich young man, is a decent person. Such camels will not fit through, says Jesus. Rather, it is only big enough to allow those who humble themselves and come to Jesus, knowing that they have nothing to offer, no goodness within themselves, but simply depending on him and his death on the cross to save them and bring them into eternal life. And so, friends, as we finish up, um, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and think about all the people you know who are like this rich young man. Just close your eyes for a moment. Think about all the people you know who are like this rich young man. Who are those people in your life and my life who are rich and yet very decent people? 
I'm sure we know many people like this. It might be your work colleague who sits across from you in the office. It might be the mother who you speak with on the school pickup. It might be a close friend. It might be someone in your family. What Jesus wants his disciples to know, and you can open your eyes now, is that they will not enter heaven simply because they are decent people. There is only one possibility to entering heaven, and that is through the cross. And so as we go out into our weeks, will we remember that just like us, they need the cross? That work colleague, he needs the cross. That mother, she needs the cross. That close friend or family member, they need the cross. For in the cross, God has wonderfully made what is impossible possible. We will remember that this week. We will pray for those who need Jesus so desperately. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. And we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he does not simply flatter us, but that he speaks the truth and exposes our hearts so that we might come to him with empty hands to receive forgiveness and eternal life by his grace. Father, forgive us for often worshipping created things rather than you, our creator. Help us to repent of our idolatry and false worship. Give us hearts that desire to follow Jesus and to serve him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might. And Father, if there are any here this morning who have not received eternal life from Jesus... We ask that they might not walk away this morning sorrowful, but that they will gladly give up the worship of lesser things to know the joy of worshipping and following Jesus our Lord. Father, we know that there are many people in our lives who, like this rich young man, are rich and moral and very decent, and yet self-sufficient and unwilling to let go of their lives to gain eternal life. And we pray for your mercy and grace on them and ask that you would convict us as your disciples of their need for the cross and that you would use us as your people to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ and the cross through which you have made what was impossible possible in opening up heaven itself. For we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.